even the darkest night of the soul you can overcome. I have. I've seen many, many others do it. Welcome, everybody, to the Jeff Mara podcast. Today's guest is Brooke Grove, and she is a near-death experiencer, integrative healer, shamanic energy medicine practitioner, and writer in co-creation with spirit. Brooke has advanced degrees in clinical psychology, marital and family therapy, and clinical art therapy. Brooke has postgraduate certifications in transpersonal psychology, eco-psychology, meditation, and trauma. Brooke, thank you so much for joining me. I really appreciate you taking out some time for me and joining me today. Thank you for having me. All right. Um, So my guests love hearing about near-death experiences. And um, so maybe we can start with your most profound near-death experience and kind of, you know, lead us into what happened. Okay. Well, when I was 29, I had been experiencing autoimmune disease for the better part of a decade. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately... It was misdiagnosed quite a few times, which is rather common with complex autoimmunity. Mm -hmm. So I was passed from doctor to doctor in some of LA's finest hospitals, but couldn't get a definitive diagnosis. It seems like every two years was changing. Uh, That said, I decided to go to Hopkins, which is where my family's from on the East Coast, as they had the leading autoimmune research center in the world at the time. Before I managed to get to Hopkins, I took my medicine as directed at the time. Unfortunately, the disease they thought I had um, wasn't correct, and my liver was severely compromised. So by taking the medicine from my other organs, it actually shut down the liver. Mm -hmm. And when the liver shut down, it took the kidneys and the lungs, which were already compromised with it. So I was comatose within a few hours of taking the medication. What is the autoimmune disease? that you had? And then do you know what they misdiagnosed you with? I was told the most recent diagnosis prior to coma was that I had vasculitis and a very specific form, which is called Wegner's granulomatosis. It's inflammation coming from the heart to the major organs. And so what it ended up being was that I had rheumatoid arthritis and lupus co-occurring. Wow. Yeah. And it sounds like your liver shut down, so you just became mega toxic and taxed your kidneys, your lungs. You probably were turning yellow. Yeah, my family came home. Um, they were expecting to take me to treatment at Hopkins, like mm-hmm. within a few days. And they came home, and I was passed out, and I had sw- already swollen up at that point about fifteen or so pounds, wow. and just was blue, purple, eyes yellow. I was completely out of it. At this point, I wasn't comatose, but I was screaming because the pain was so severe Mm -hmm. as the organs went down. So I was taken by helicopter to the hospital. Wow. That's pretty traumatic just in that event alone. Yeah, it was pretty intense. I don't have recollection of this. I'm going by medical records Mm -hmm. and what my family's told me. Mm -hmm. So So you were comatose already and Did you wake up in the hospital days later? Well, my NDE occurs as I'm, I think I was in ICU at this point um, because I remember as I was pulling out of the body, looking down and everybody had like full hazmat suits on and they were those predominantly in ICU. Mm -hmm. Um, So I floated out of the body and At first, it was, I thought I was having like a lucid dream. I've Mm -hmm. had lucid dreams and astral projection and stuff since I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And I was looking down and noticing how they appeared. And it looked like an episode of the X-Files. So like, I'm not in my body. My consciousness is very much me to have that recollection. Like, oh, it's a sci-fi show. And oh, and then I just kept pulling up, up, up and up. And as I went up, suddenly I lost this realm, this reality, and was pulled into, for me, what very much was the cosmos. It very much looked like outer space. Everything was light. There were voids of darkness, um, lots of light beings, which appeared almost like stars, except Mm -hmm. they had like a bigger intensity. You could feel the vibration. There was a ton of communication, yet it was all done through telepathy or inner knowing. And so it was just like, 
I mean, if you take pictures from NASA and if you could up the saturation in Photoshop to like the most extreme, that was much what the space was. It was more beautiful than anything I've ever seen. Have you ever seen the artistry of Alex Gray? Yes. You know, his is like really vibrant colors. Was it like that really vibrant, oversaturated kind of energy looking beings? Definitely. And like every color, um, it's how I see auras now, but every color had almost like an Alex Gray painting where he puts the layer atop the layer atop the layer, you know, of certain things. They all had those fields of color surrounding it. So if there was red, the red had some pink around Mm -hmm. it and then orange. And so everything just kind of spread out like that. All right. You're, you're there in this place. You're seeing beings. They're kind of, to me, sounds like orbs or stars or just energy circular beings were any of the beings in human shape or they're all just round just all around beings yeah for me yes for me nothing was uh and in the shape of anything incarnated in this this realm uh it was all light um communication was done through light like the the pulsating and the the frequency and the speed would let you know things like i'd ask a question and they would respond through light. Um, and then I would just know what they meant. Hmm. And, um, and it felt familiar, like there was nothing scary or off putting about that. In fact, it, you felt like you were being held by this light, like in a way that we probably are only held as infants by our mothers. When we first come into this world, the light was just so loving. And so it was absolutely like the most divine, spacious, welcoming place you could ever land. Was there one being in particular that you were communicating with, like a relative, someone that was familiar that you knew? Was it Jesus, God, uh, you know, who uh, anybody, spe- you know, maybe you're a different religion, so spe- someone in particular? <laughs> I do believe from all the NDE experiencers I am friends with and all the stories I've heard at this point mm-hmm. that they that spirit communicates with you in a language you'll understand. Mm-hmm. And so for me, going into the NDE, I was <laughs> religiously agnostic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did not have I, I had been I grew up really Catholic and it had turned me off mm-hmm. based on some experiences in school. And so that said, I didn't have like experiences where I saw Christ or Buddha or anything like that with the ascended masters. However, the light beings were familiar to me. I had, I felt like I had known them my entire life. I use the word and angels quite often because they, that's how I experience them now is a very angelic vibration, but they were really in indigenous terms. We often speak of star brothers and star sisters Mm -hmm. that have come, you know, through shamanic terms. Mm -hmm. And that's what they were like. They were like something I had known through so many incarnations and something that supported me here and now. And even in hindsight, as a child, I saw energies and would tell my family that there were angels and things in the house and they always appeared to me as light. And so the three that I saw and that stayed with me during my three-day coma journey Mm -hmm. were colors and energies that I know very, very well now and I work with them all the time so they weren't familiar in a religious sense Mm -hmm. but they were familiar to me energetically and they rekindled something that I had turned off as a child my intuitive gifts um, and validated that too because it had been shamed and kind of you know questioned out of me so I didn't think it was real and now I very much understand they always were real Mm -hmm. and that we all have them we all have teams of spirit Do you believe in guardian angels and do you think that one of them is one and is still currently with you? I do believe in guardian angels. I think that everybody's team's different. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That's how I've encountered it in my work. So for some people, it's ancestors that are in the light. For some, it is more of an angelic presence that's with you. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a very rough childhood, and uh, which led to manifesting disease. Mm-hmm. And so I very much do feel that these were guardian angels that were with me and really kept me from going over the brink, 
you know, Mm -hmm. especially when I returned from my NDE, because something that's kind of glossed over in a lot of NDE stories is that when you return to the physical body, it's very common to want to go back to where, you know, the NDE happened to home, whatever you want to call it, Mm -hmm. because it's so hard to come back here. Mm -hmm. And so there's about a seven year period of suicidality where in anywhere between seven to 21% of experiencers will commit suicide. And Mm -hmm. so for me, I had a really hard seven years coming back and had they not constantly shown up and helped me, Mm -hmm. I might've been one of those statistics. Wow. That's amazing. You know, that's the, the first time I've heard that. And I'm glad you shared that. Um, since you are a psychologist, and I don't want to get too far into it yet, what your practice is about, but are you treating people with NDEs? And if so, are you treating a lot of people that are considering suicide? Yes, I've left traditional psychology. So it's it's part of my integrative practice now. So I'm not mm-hmm. practicing clinically, mm-hmm. but I actually focus on near-death experiencers, people with spiritually transformative experiences, intuitives, empaths, people that are really, you know, open or are trying to align their gifts so it's not so scary. So mm-hmm. suicide ideation comes up quite a bit. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. That's fascinating. So when you had your NDE, had you already finished your, you know, grad school and everything and were in practice or did this happen before? I had already finished three master's degrees. I was in my PhD candidacy when it had happened. Mm -hmm. So the only thing I had left to do was defend the dissertation, Mm -hmm. but I came back and suddenly everything I thought I knew and believed in Mm -hmm. my gifts that I was given during my NDE and Mm -hmm. afterwards, my after effects, those were something that clinical psychology would pathologize. If I went in and told a clinical psychologist Mm -hmm. that I was seeing auras and I could watch body or soul bodies leave, you know, an ICU and that I could, you know, manipulate chi balls and all they would have labeled me either schizoaffective or schizophrenic and I was well aware of that and yet I was oriented times four which is person place time and situation (laughs) so I knew I wasn't going crazy but I also knew I would be labeled that by my peers (laughs) wow so did you just have a clean break from traditional psychology or did you have to struggle with it for a while and then make a clean break I struggled for a long time. That's where a lot of the suicidality came in. I tried three times to go back and to finish the degree. But every time I went back, um, I would get sick again. The autoimmunity would just suddenly come back. Mm -hmm. And then it was like, you know what? Eventually it came to the point where this disease is only manifesting when I'm out of alignment with my truth my Mm -hmm. purpose. Mm -hmm. So I'm just going to go in a completely new direction and see what unfolds. Yeah, That's very fascinating. Do you treat people for autoimmune diseases? I get a ton of people that have autoimmunity Mm -hmm. um, that come in and almost all, I don't want a blanket statement, but so many of them, the disease has manifested in response to trauma. So Mm -hmm. when we do the energy medicine, it's really fascinating to see Mm -hmm. that when you clear up a lot of that, how the physical expression of the trauma starts to, if not, it doesn't, I don't want to say it's curable for everyone. Okay. Mm. But it does reduce based on the work that they do. Yeah. I'm skipping way ahead. I mean, I find all this fascinating. Let me go back to the NDE and finish with that. And then we can jump back forward. So you were seeing beings, you were, it appears to me that you were, you were asking questions and they would respond in pulses of energy. It was kind of a yes, no type of answer you really didn't hear a voice talking to your implanted into your um it wasn't a voice but i mean there was the source light so there's the angelic beings that i'm with and then there's this light that's brighter than anything you can imagine but it's kind of off in the distance and they were letting me know through inner knowing like you felt everything inside your own light orb because i had my own light too Mm. um That said, it was very different than theirs. Theirs was a much more intense, higher vibration. Um, That said, I was, I kept going towards source light and then I would pull back Hmm. and they let me know through inner knowing that I could go be part of that light. That's the light we all come from and it's okay to go there. Hmm. Yet if I were to go there at that time and place, I would come back to earth to complete 
my soul contract. And the way they speak through vibration and energy, it's so much more beautiful than our language. So it's very difficult to put into words. But I knew I didn't want to come back here. I had survived so much trauma from such a young age that the idea of coming back with more karma to complete, Mm -hmm. even in this beautiful divine space, it's just not something I wanted to do. Right. And so um, three days comatose in that realm, it feels like years. Right. You know, when you tell the story, it seems like it was just a, you know, a blip. But in reality, it felt like I sat with them and was held by them for a very, very, very long time. And then eventually I kept feeling this pull back to the human body, but I didn't really want to go either. So it's like this push, pull, push, pull, push, pull, despite what they had told me. And then I noticed that there were these other lights that were kind of off to the side. They were more like the light I could, I could feel emitting from me. And so I became curious about them and I was just kind of, I don't know, mesmerized. I don't know for how long, but just beholding them. And one was this brilliant green, um, like the most beautiful grass you've ever seen. And the other was this beautiful, beautiful indigo color. Mm. And I knew they had something to do with being back here. I didn't know what, and I was not given any information about what they were. I was given information about what my return would be like. I was told it would be very, very difficult, but that I had the strength to endure it. And that by enduring it, there would come a time uh, where a bunch of us would be coming together for a shift for humanity. And that enduring the pain was part of coming into this collective. I had no clue what any of that meant. And now things are starting to make sense. But at the time, it was just a lot of information. Okay, it's going to take a while. I underestimated what they meant by it being difficult. But again, the way they say things is so loving that it's just hard to express. Um, That said, I ended up saying I wanted to come back. And I, again, I'm so mesmerized by these two other lights. So I ask the angels, how do I get home? And I'm kind of like spun around at this point very, very quickly. And they tell me to follow the light unlike any other. And just as they're saying that to me telepathically, I notice this awful light. It is literally like nothing in that space. And I follow it. And sure enough, I'm catapulted back into my body. And the first thing I see is a flashlight in my eye. And that was the light I had been seeing. They were checking my um, pupils Mm. at that point. Oh, wow. So it was a flashlight back. (laughs) In your medical records, were you ever clinically dead at any point or just comatose? I was declared brain dead. Oh, wow. And I was read my last right. Hmm. So nobody expected me to be in there whatsoever. My family was told if I woke up that the organ damage had been so quick and so fast that it had done severe damage to the brain and I would be in a vegetative state. So no one expected me to wake up. Even when they were checking my pupils, I couldn't get them to see that I was conscious. Hmm. So it took quite a while. Wow. Good thing that your family didn't say, well, I guess she's not coming back. Turn off the machine or something. Yeah, yeah. At that point, I had to pick lines to my brain. I wasn't on like full life support. They just Mm -hmm. didn't expect me to come back on my own. Hmm. Okay. You had mentioned that before all this, that you've had other kind of paranormal or spiritual experiences. Can you tell me about some of that? Yes, I understand now that I was a naturally born intuitive and I shut it down um, based on issues within the family of origin and and religious beliefs. Mm -hmm. Um, But that said, when I was very, very little, I had this uncanny gift that I had it straight up till my last grandparent uh, died. I had a grandfather who I was not close to. All my other grandparents, we were very close. But one of them, I was not. And yet somehow the phone rang when I was about, I think I was about 13 the first time. So the phone rings and I look at my mom and I'm like, grandfather's dead. She looked at me like a gasp because she hadn't even picked up the phone. And I was just like, he just left. And then she picks up the phone and it's her aunt and she tells her that. Mm. 
And I got the look from my mom, like almost like I had done something very evil or like it was bad. It scared her that I knew that. And then with my um, my other grandmother, when I was about hmm, I was in college at this point and she she had a stroke the day I went to college and then she actually passed the day I graduated college. Hmm. But in between, I went to visit her. And when I was in the hospital, um, I said to her, I was like, I know you're going to leave the day I have a big event. And so we said goodbye. And then sure enough, um, the day that I was going to graduate college, I woke up at six in the morning and started crying. And my brother was staying with me for the event. And he's like, what are you crying about? And I'm like, grandma left. And then the same thing, the phone rang right after. And sure enough, she had transitioned. So um, and then with my grandmother, my my other grandmother, I had a shared death experience with her, um, which was really fascinating because mm-hmm. she and my grandfather had been together like 70 some years and she was very, very ill. She had had Alzheimer's for almost 12 years at this point. So we had had to say goodbye to her very slowly. And I hadn't really been able to have real conversations with her. And then my grandfather's in the room and everybody's so sad and he's, she's holding on. And at this point I could, this was following my NDE, actually this one. So she, I can see her soul body, like staying right above her energetic field, but not going. And I could tell she desperately wanted to go, but she wouldn't go with my grandfather in the room. So I asked him to take a walk because he was breaking down and I knew she needed to go. And the minute he went out of the room, I held her hand and I told her it was okay to go. And I got to watch her just go up into the tunnel of light and just leave the room. And she was smiling and she had all these beings of light around her. It was so beautiful but then there was the dichotomy because I shared this profound experience and that was the first time I thought oh my gosh my NDE gifts are like a blessing Mm -hmm. I was still struggling with them at that point and then I realized how amazing that was but then I also had to come to terms with my whole family's mourning I can't come out elated that I just saw my grandmother transition Mm -hmm. I need to come back into the human and be grounded and hold space for them Mm -hmm. and that's an interesting thing for NDE experiencers because we see death so differently Mm -hmm. we know it's going home we know you're going somewhere you're unconditionally loved and supported and so it's not the scary awful thing it's what it leaves behind that's really hard but yeah, I'd had those experiences. I had seen angels as a child and I had told my family about that. <laughs> that was not welcomed information. <laughs> so yeah, things like that had happened before. That's too bad that your family seemed to just shut you down when you see stuff. Like, I feel like if my kids would have came to me that I'd be like, oh, really? I would be like really curious about that, you know? But maybe it maybe Well, that's it- the beautiful thing. I was going to say maybe okay. it, I was going to say maybe it frightened them on some level. It it did because I know that now as things have shifted and unfolded my mom has a whole new level of curiosity and she's not like terrified of it. Mm-hmm. And the beautiful thing about it is that I now have an intuitive son and he has his gifts intact and we mm-hmm. can have these conversations. So I feel like I was gifted like this ultimate emotionally corrective experience in being his mother mm-hmm. and taking it back to the NDE, the two lights that I mentioned seeing on the way out, those are actually the aura colors of my children. Mm-hmm. And that's super significant to the story because when I was struggling, when I wanted to leave when I was suicidal. Each time I found out, I was told about a month or two before by spirit that there were new um, humans coming through me. And I remember being terrified because I'm like, I don't even want to be here. Why would I have kids? I wasn't sure I wanted kids. And then my eldest was born. He's the one with the beautiful indigo and having an intuitive son and someone that just understood me shifted things rapidly. Mm -hmm. And then again, um, with my my uh, youngest son, he came through at a time when things were pretty rough, when I had finally left psychology and I knew I didn't want to 
uh, I wanted to do more than just be at home as much as I loved it with my eldest. I wanted to use my training somehow, but I didn't know how. And I was in a period where I had figured out ways to suppress my gifts because I just wanted to fit in with everyone. And by getting pregnant with him, I could no longer suppress my gifts. I had to go back to a very healthy lifestyle. And from having him, everything began to unfold that put me on the path I am now. So they saved me in many ways. Those lights really helped save me. They're my earth angels. Wow, that's amazing. Interesting to think about. I mean, that these spirits were there when you were there. And I guess they had already chosen you before you even you know knew about that. Yeah, my my eldest can have that conversation. He's mm-hmm. seven now. Mm-hmm. And so I think he was three when we were doing our like nighttime ritual. And he said to me um, that he chose me and mm. he was so grateful that, you know, and he the funny thing is in that same sentence, this is coming from a three year old, mind you. He goes, I chose you because I'm going to finish your work. Thank you for letting me choose you. Oh, wow. <laughs> big guy, That's big guy amazing. with big ideas. <laughs> Yeah. What kind of gifts does he have that you've noticed? Well, I knew he could see energy as well because I was doing Qigong or something of the nature. And when I do that, I always change the color of the energy balls that I'm working with. Mm -hmm. And one time he had his little baby brother was crawling in the hallway and I heard them at the door and he said, mommy plays with colored balls. She thinks I can't see him. He goes, look, she's going red, purple, purple, green. And then he just started naming what I was doing. And so then I kept, I started really playing playing and switching it up. And he was spot on every single time. So he has that gift. He's really good at um, reading collective energies when the pandemic began. And I was trying to explain it to him in gentle terms because he was six at the time. He looked at me and he goes, it's okay, mama. Spirit already told me this is the great undoing. Some things will have to be destroyed for other things to be born. It's okay. It's okay. Mm. (laughs) It's just like, Wow, oh my yeah. goodness, you know. So I said he's just a very old soul. A very old soul? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I would be pretty surprised if I had those conversations. It's not I'm not saying I wouldn't want to. I would just it'd be pretty cool actually. It's cool, but you do have to teach him discernment. He's uh he told his first grade teacher her aura was dirty and that mm-hmm. didn't go over so well. <laughs> so let me ask you this when you see do you have to like get yourself in a certain state to see auras or do you just see them all the time whether you want to or not in the beginning it was terrifying because i saw them all the time and it could be very very overwhelming and it's why i wanted to turn it off Mm -hmm. um what i ended up learning and part of how i got into the shamanic work was that you could have boundaries with spirit Mm -hmm. and that you could set parameters like i want to see them and my my current situation with it is i want to see them when i'm working so of course i open the space and i i do that and then i also want to see them when it's for my highest and best and to protect me from danger. So sometimes they'll come on and it's because I'm walking into a dangerous situation or there's a person that I should keep myself or my kids or whatever away from. Mm -hmm. So they'll come on like that. Another time that they come on without me necessarily wanting them to are when there's major cosmic events. So new moons, full moons, eclipses, the veil's very thin at those times. So quite often they'll be on more than I want them to Mm -hmm. (laughs) at those moments. So it takes a lot of grounding then to kind of keep it um keep it manageable do you feel that after your nde you pierce the veil and it's much easier afterwards than before and and maybe you've gained new abilities oh definitely i mean i i don't fancy myself a medium but i've had many um experiences with souls that have crossed over and you know um another interesting phenomenon that occurs is that when you get a bunch of intuitives or like near-death experiencers i speak at um ians which is the international association of near-death studies Mm -hmm. i do a lot of their conferences and what's fascinating is like the minute you go to walk into a hotel and there's all these experiencers i start going out of my body 
And I got to wow. turn around, go back out ground and prepare for the overflow of energy that I'm going to encounter because it's so high. Even the last conference, I, as I said, I don't fancy myself a medium, but they'll sometimes come to me. I must have been staying by a bunch of mediums like in the hotel rooms because every night I get all these spirits trying to communicate. And I'm like, this isn't what I do. You know, like I got to go to sleep. I'm not staying up all night, you know, setting boundaries with them. But it's just fascinating how our gifts can kind of amplify each other mm-hmm. um clear audience it's the same thing when i'm with one of my best friends that's like her primary gift and sometimes when i'm with her i'm like ah how do you deal with this all the time mm-hmm. so it's just fascinating how we all have our, our different gifts but yes the veil is way thinner uh sh- the shamanic path really um found me and called me because i needed a way to manage it Mm-hmm. And I needed a way to make sense of it. The analytical mind, the scientific part of me still wanted to know, like, this is valid. This is real. And then, oh, and behold, there's all these wisdom traditions that have been doing this for eons, mm-hmm. you know, so why not look at that? And quantum physics has given us a lot to consider as well, because they're validating so much with vibrational medicine, with mm-hmm. these gifts, mm-hmm. and then the ascension process. There will come a time when everybody is capable of this if mm-hmm. we choose to evolve. Do you believe it's possible that when someone has an NDE, you actually cross into another dimension? And when you're in that dimension, you know, some people believe in string theory and there's many, many dimensions or 10 dimensions or 11 or six or whatever. But do you believe that when you're in that dimension, you're with other beings that some people consider those beings like extraterrestrials, non-human intelligence, and maybe those beings travel here they pop into our dimension and people think oh i saw an alien or whatever do you have any opinion about that (laughs) yes i mean i believe there's a multiverse for sure Mm -hmm. um and and pretty much everything that quantum physics suggests right now and there's so much that they haven't discovered yet has been proven real to me from my experiences working in uh, the quantum field and through shamanism but yes um many persons that i work with have guides that are definitely not of this realm i call them their galactic guides Mm -hmm. and so just like ancestors they can be of the light or of the dark Mm -hmm. so i always make sure that when i'm working with someone we're calling in only energies that are of the light and so i do believe that they you know i mean if you just look at human history uh you know and ancient aliens and all of that Mm -hmm. there's many reasons to believe that there were much higher intelligences that were here first Mm -hmm. and i do believe that most of them communicate through light they communicate through inner knowing they communicate through our dream states Mm -hmm. so the more open you are the more you can diverse and communicate with them do you think it's possible that there are beings in that dimension that are not for our best interest to put it lightly yes i think i think as long as we're still in a a duality based consciousness and this is part of like you know why it's so pivotal that we do ascend and come into the higher dimensions, we're going to attract those kinds of beings, Hmm. you know, and that stuff falls away the more we ascend and we clear ourselves. But you have to give permission for anything to enter you. And, and, and people don't grasp that a lot. Like they think that they get attachments because, you know, a bad experience. And it's like, no, you on some level gave something permission to come in. Mm-hmm. So whether it's uh, what I call parasite, which is a lower energy, some mm-hmm. people would call it an entity. It gets in that way. The same thing with the um, extraterrestrials, if that's what people want to tell them, call mm-hmm. them. I prefer the term star beings because they mm-hmm. come from all over. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, yeah, there's definitely higher and lower. And the more quantum field work you do, um, which is another type of practice that I, I enjoy, you will see, okay, there's implants on someone. Where did mm. these come from? These are mm. inorganic. So mm. if they're inorganic, it's telling me it's not from this world. I don't, you know, I don't, I can't recognize it. I can tell you it almost like, they look almost like the Terminator, you know, like all the cords and like the way things were in that movie. Mm-hmm. That's what it, it looks like when it's coming from something non-human so yes as crazy as that sounds to some of my former peers i do believe it Mm -hmm. there is a very famous author i don't know if you ever heard of him his name is whitley streber he's written like 
many books, a lot, and he, I think he has been abducted. And um, he just happened to be speaking here many years ago, like over 20 years ago. And he had said he had an implant from being abducted and his ear. And I just asked, I said, Hey, I'm a chiropractor. Do you mind if I just kind of feel your ear and feel it? And I was, he said, yeah, go ahead. (laughs) So I, it just felt like a rock inside of his ear to me, you know, but is that the same type of implant you're talking about or, or what type of implant are you talking about? I don't know that. I don't know that you necessarily have to be abducted for it, um, mm-hmm. but I, I think that's fascinating, and I definitely want to read his stuff now. Yeah. <laughs> um, that said, I what I've experienced of it is more um, energetic. Like, I can give you an example. I have very severe TMJ where I'm, like, constantly yeah. grinding and mm-hmm. bruxism, and when I was intubated in the coma, it made it much worse because even though I was technically unconscious, I was biting on the thing the sure. whole time. and. I've healed everything from my autoimmunity and yet I still struggle with the TMJ mm-hmm. and a couple of the healers that I've done quantum field work with have always said to me, have you ever noticed that it's when you are about to speak some big truth or do some big conference and you're about to say something kind of out of the box, you have these really significant flares mm-hmm. and my friend who's the healer was like they're implants and every time I take them out, she's like, they show back up right Mm. before you do something like that. So her theory on that, and this was very new to me at the time was that I was being blocked by some sort of like lower, you know, light, um, extraterrestrial or energy that was putting them there to keep me from speaking about these types of things. Hmm, interesting. So it's just an interesting, interesting idea. But with the quantum, they believe that you can go in and you can actually remove them energetically. Hmm. So that's a big difference. And that's interesting. Okay. So they're basically energetic implants, nothing physical. Well, I've heard both sides of it, but for me, I know I wasn't abducted, but they're saying that they get in a dream state and they're doing stuff like, so who knows? Who knows? It's just, I think it's fascinating just to consider. Yeah. So I think you kind of already answered me, but you have, you are healed from all your previous autoimmune disorders or not symptomatic. It was a long and winding no, I, I still do deal with inflammation. So I have to, I, I have a pretty strict lifestyle as far as what I choose to eat and what mm-hmm. I choose to put in my body. But that's also a byproduct of my um, shamanic work because mm-hmm. it's very important to stay clear so that you can do the work and be the, the highest conduit for the vibration of spirit. Mm-hmm. That said, um, I do not have rheumatoid arthritis anymore. I do not have lupus mm-hmm. anymore. Um, I do deal with chronic migraine. That was from the brain damage. There's a lot of nerve damage that occurred during the brain damage. And that's been the one thing I haven't been able to fully heal. Mm -hmm. Um, Interestingly, though, it's mostly triggered by when I overuse my third eye. And Mm -hmm. one of the primary states of third eye imbalance is migraine. Mm. So my doctors blame the coma, but sometimes I wonder if it's I'm doing too much work and Mm -hmm. I just need to balance it back out because it usually does the trick. Wow. You know, I have headaches from time to time. They're not migraines, but to me, they're kind of migraine-like. And sometimes when I feel them come on, if I slam a bunch of caffeine, it will stop it. Oh, yeah. Caffeine is one of those interesting things with migraine because it's like the right amount Mm -hmm. helps Mm -hmm. too much, Mm -hmm. amplifies it. (laughs) Yeah. I'm glad you mentioned the shamanic energy. Can you tell me more about that and what you actually do with that? Yes. um, I... When I was first discovering how I could see energy and manipulate it, I just needed a grounding tool for it. So I actually sought out shamans Mm -hmm. from all over the world Mm -hmm. to work with me, just hoping that I would learn boundaries with it and how to facilitate it better. And then I experienced such profound healing. And I tried shamans of all different walks of life and tribes. And I was so impressed by it Mm -hmm. that I started just studying with some of them so that it was, I could self heal. That was the goal. Mm -hmm. I want to be able, and that was when I was still dealing with periodic flares of autoimmunity. Mm -hmm. And again, it was when I was trying to finish school, I kept trying to go back and Mm -hmm. then I'd flare up. Mm -hmm. And so they taught me all these ways of working on myself that 
had miraculous results. At one point, I actually um, was told that my kidneys were failing again and that I was going to need dialysis and a kidney transplant. And that's when I was like, no, I have done this song and dance for seven years now after my NDE. I'm done. I'm done with clinical psychology. I'm going to commit 110% to this and I'm going to heal my kidneys. Mm-hmm. My medical doctors thought I was nuts mm-hmm. and because I was like, I'm just using food mm-hmm. and shamanism and that's how we're going to do it. Well, I was given the diagnosis in April and by July, my kidneys were fully thriving. I've never since needed dialysis. I've never since had a kidney problem and all of my um, diseases have been put into remission. So once that happened, I started to be like, you know what? This is so amazing for me. If I could fuse what I understand about psychology and use this to help clear the energetic field and then use psychology to help people integrate it, Mm -hmm. then I could do something that honors both lives I've lived, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. and, and serves the higher good. So Mm -hmm. that's really where it came in. And thankfully in 2012, when, you know, a lot of the prophecies were misunderstood um, at that same time, uh, shamans from all sorts of different walks of life and around the globe started allowing their ceremonies to be taught to anyone that was true of heart and who had experienced what's called a shamanic initiation. Mm-hmm. And most severe illness in a shamanic lens is seen as that. If you choose to come into it and transform it to an opportunity, you heal and you're given the ability to see between worlds, then that's what's considered a shamanic initiation. And so for that reason, uh, I just started finding heal after healer that was extraordinary from across the globe and studying with them. And I I really didn't intend to do it with other people. It just kind of naturally unfolded. And now we're in a place where the world really needs it. So I feel very blessed that that wasn't my intention, but that's how it came about. Hmm. Did you ever do sweat lodges or did any of them ever have you take ayahuasca? I'll be honest, I have not taken ayahuasca. I did a lot of psychedelics prior to my NDE. Mm-hmm. Now that I've had my NDE and my third eye is blasted open, I see so much and get so much information. I feel ayahuasca might be a little terrifying, wow. <laughs> to be honest. Mm-hmm. I've had so many shamans that I've worked with that do plant medicine tell me I don't need it because mm-hmm. my third eye is already that open. Um, But I do sweat lodges. I do a lot of other ceremonial practices. My sons participate with me in every moon ceremony uh, Mm -hmm. of the month. Mm -hmm. And we do different groups for locals, virtual groups as well. So Mm -hmm. women's groups, a whole lot. Hmm. Did you ever take DMT? (laughs) I never took DMT. uh, And most of my near-death experience or friends don't either because mm-hmm. again if you came back with the third eye wide open it's mm-hmm. um i don't know that it's necessary but mm-hmm. i do have a lot of friends in the healing community that haven't had ndes and are very much in alignment with that and find it very very healing yeah i saw some clinical i think it was a clinical study not too long ago studying people who had ndes and a lot of them develop post-traumatic stress disorder after taking it. And a lot of them, I think another one which I found which is very interesting is if you had a group taking it together as a group, they collectively all saw the same thing. Like, you know, usually it's seeing some kind of beings or something. Do you know why they would Uh all get PTSD? Well, I I feel like that's intuitively why spirits always told me not to take it Mm. because you're, when you're already experiencing the, the veil as thin as it is to then take it to another level could be severely overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't think, I think once, once the third eye has been decalcified and is open, it's just not necessary. Plus, as a, for empaths and intuitives and experiencers, if you're with people and you're already able to pull in all of their stuff and then you take it together, mm-hmm. it could you could kind of have like a, a the, un, the collective unconscious could be overwhelming for the group mm-hmm. because every shadow element that you have and we all have them mm-hmm. and NDE experiencers are still very much human and very much have lots of things to heal. Mm-hmm. When you're taking all that in from many different people, that's very, very overwhelming. Mm-hmm. So I found it interesting that you just mentioned that your third eye becomes decalcified. 
And, yeah. uh, and uh, is, are you speaking of like the, like the pineal gland itself or, or can you elaborate yes, on that? Like the pineal gland. It, uh, well, yes. I mean, most of us, our lifestyle, you know, from the time we're kids, we're drinking water with fluoride, you mm. know, it's, um, we're brushing our teeth with it. We're eating things out of cans. Mm. All of these things are closing down the pineal gland mm-hmm. and, What's sad is that there's evidence that that was somewhat conscious, you know, Mm. back in the day because Mm. it kept us easier to control. Mm. And so now people are becoming more aware of that and they're taking active measures, whether it's through meditation, whether it's through plant medicine, whether it's through holistic living, there's many paths. Um, But once it's wide open, you don't, you don't really need things to make it psychedelic it's already there the third eye is is you know it does what it does i mean there's there's theories that that was our original eye Mm -hmm. and as we we first developed and then as we evolved into where we are now we have these two but there's some that believe that as we evolve further and go into the higher dimensions this will become the predominant eye again Hmm. it's interesting i don't know a lot about the practice of psychology I'm curious about when you, you know, like if you're a medical doctor, after you graduate, you go through a residency and you start seeing patients or the, while you're in dental school, you, you treat patients, you learn on people, chiropractic school, you, you you work in a clinic as well. How does it work in psychology? Like, cause I think you said you had three master's degrees. Were you already seeing people before you got your PhD or how does that work? Like when do you clinically practice on people? It's different. Um, It's changed a lot. It's changed a lot. Actually, I chose to get my master's degrees and then go get my license for my Mm. marital and family therapy degree. Mm. So I was seeing patients and had worked. You have to work two years after your master's Mm. as an intern is what they called it back then in a Mm. practicum. Mm. And then you get licensed Mm. and then you continue working with people. And then during your doctoral degree, you have an actual like a doctor's residency. So Mm. you go through all of that training. And then in the last years, you're sent from different hospital to different hospital Mm. and you do the work there. And then postgraduate, you have another (laughs) round Mm. of a thousand hours that you have to do. Um, So I was seeing patients from 2003 to when my coma occurred in Mm -hmm. 2010, Mm -hmm. but I was doing it um, under my MAs and Mm -hmm. my MFT Mm -hmm. and then as a psych intern. So like practicum student, they, they call it intern versus residency, but it's very much like a doctor's residency. Okay. That's very interesting. So you get the title. It's just like the doctors, how they get their title, but it's not until they're out of their residency that they're really done. Mm-hmm. It's very similar in that realm. We get the title, but until you defend and you're done that particular internship, postgraduate, mm-hmm. you're not fully done. Mm-hmm. I would assume that you were mostly working in hospitals when you were doing your internship. Uh, it depends. Yeah, I did work in hospitals. I worked in a prison. Oh, wow. <laughs> I did prison. I worked with um, a lot of intensive services milieus for children. So that would be like a therapeutic school for kids with severe psychosis. So they might have like six kids in a, in a school, an entire school. And then there'd be two therapists and our office would have like observation windows so we could watch the school. And then we were pulling them in for therapy, like multiple times a day. I'll have to admit, I liked that setting probably the most because I saw my patients Mm -hmm. every single day Mm -hmm. in about three different types of therapy. So it was much more intensive. You got to really help. I did enjoy that. Hmm. When you're in that type of setting, is there like a certain technique that everybody uses to help people with their therapy? Like, okay, tell me about this. Tell me about that. And if so, is your tech now that you're doing something different? Are is you? Do you still ever kind of use some of that technique in what you're doing now, or are you just completely different? Oh, I definitely use, I didn't have a one size fits all model. I was predominantly um, assigned to be a trauma therapist. Mm -hmm. Ironically, that being my background, it wasn't Mm -hmm. what I wanted to do, but I had a natural proclivity towards it from being a survivor. So my, um, you know, my dean and my academic advisor, they saw that and they kept moving me from one trauma setting to another. Mm -hmm. And then once I graduated, I chose to work with trauma because I knew that I 
enjoyed it and I understood what it takes to come out of it. That said, with trauma, there's so many different techniques. It's very specific to what the trauma was and what developmental age people are at. Now, ironically, since so many of the people that are coming to me, trauma is part of how disease is manifesting in their lives now. Mm. I start with the shamanic energy medicine always, but when we're doing the integration sessions, so much of my background as a trauma therapist comes through because it's just natural to kind of go into that vernacular and that way of being. It also helps people, especially those that aren't as open to the metaphysical or maybe it's new or the chakra system's new. They tend to resonate a little bit more with the psychology because it's something they're a tad bit more familiar with. Hmm. So it definitely helps. Would you say that now your patient base, and I don't know if you you use that word patient for the people that come to you, but your base of clients or patients, are they mostly people who've had NDEs or empaths or Claire audience or people along that line or completely different? You know, um, prior to YouTube, Mm -hmm. (laughs) which I just started doing like interviews on YouTube a few months ago, it took me a while to come out of my shell. I was doing conferences yet. I didn't want to be on the internet. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That said, now that I've been doing more YouTube talks, it's a good mix. I would say I get probably half of them have had pretty profound spiritually transformative experiences. I like to use the umbrella term mystical experience to include the near-death experience that the any transpersonal or peak experience, spiritually transformative experiences. And then the other half of the spectrum tends to be um, intuitives, uh, what are sometimes called rainbow or crystal children, which are the kids that are coming in with the gifts intact, like my son. And so what's really cool is a lot of parents who don't necessarily have intuitive gifts or aren't as advanced in them are having these children and somehow they're finding my YouTube videos Mm -hmm. and I'm getting all these kids who their parents don't get it yet. Their parents understand and have heard me talk about the fact that a lot of these kids are misdiagnosed as having ADHD or some even being on the autistic spectrum or others as being, you know, personality disorders when they're really just highly intuitive Mm -hmm. and they need skill sets to help them manage that. They need to learn energy energetic boundaries, energetic hygiene, how to practice discernment, when to talk about things, when not to. And so I get, I have like a great amount of teenagers, young kids, young adults who are very, very gifted and are stepping into their power and learning how to use it. I also get a lot of theologians mm. and I get who are opening to the mystical. And then um, I've had a lot of medical doctors come mm. through recently well, that really just want to understand you know it's fascinating they really just want to understand the energetic body and learn how to um operate the chakra system and so and just trust their intuition and also i think uh for clinicians because i get a lot of therapists as well clinicians and medical doctors energetic boundaries are huge i talked in a couple of interviews about how i know that working with trauma and being a survivor was part of what got me sick I was, as an intuitive, I didn't have energetic boundaries. And so I was holding space for all their trauma. What was happening was I was taking it in and compounding my own. They felt better, but I was getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And so my body just broke down. So now I have uh, the skill set and I understand how to clear my field and how to work with someone and hold space, but not take it in. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the um, clinicians and caregivers are coming to me for that purpose. Mm. I don't know if you're able to answer this or not, but for whatever people come to you for, whatever they want to work on, do you have, can you give me an estimate of like, okay, like how many sessions it will take being with you to help them resolve whatever their problem is? I offer packages, but I typically suggest that someone does the long session. I do 90 minutes or 120. And if someone is called to the deeper work, I usually recommend they do the 120, experience it, Mm -hmm. then do the homework, because I give a lot of homework, (laughs) see how it resonates with you, and then come back to me and we'll talk about that. Because it depends. There are some people that have on paper, pretty complex trauma histories, and Mm -hmm. yet they do the work and they have rapid shifts. 
Then I have some people who it might seem more benign, yet they struggle to do the homework and they need more support. So it's going to take them a little bit longer. But what I love about this job, I mean, one of the greatest compliments is when someone who assumes they're going to need eight to 12 sessions Mm -hmm. does one. Mm -hmm. And then I check in on them and I, you know, ask how they're doing. And usually after the first session, they're like, I want to book another one. I'm like, give it 72 hours. Mm -hmm. Let's touch base. And the best compliment is when they say, this is amazing. It's working. I'll, I don't need another session right mm. now. And I don't hear from them for like six or eight months. I mean, mm. that's amazing. In psychology, I work with people once a week. And mm. I didn't see those kind of shifts mm. that I sometimes see in one or two sessions. So yeah, it just I think depends. It seems but. like in the traditional psychology world, maybe even psychiatry, the complaints you hear that you have to go like on and on and on and on forever, you know, and it, it it, and even if you, you don't even know if you get better or not anyways. Mm-hmm. Well, it's my experience from my own uh, trauma and from my own autoimmunity that all true healing is self-healing. So I really serve as a guide. And that's why the homework is so important because I can clear your field. I can help you integrate what came up, but it's what you do when you leave the choices you make, the practices you choose to resonate with, the thoughts you choose to embody. That's what makes the biggest difference. And so if you want healing to last, you have to make yourself into the person that is able to do it. And one thing Spirit said to me that I actually have never shared in an interview, I don't think before, but when I was in that space in the NDE, they I kept hearing the age of the guru is over, the age of the guru is over. And I was like, what does this mean? Because to me at the time, I didn't even align with gurus or any of that. But now that I've come into this realm and I meet so many people that are like looking for someone to follow or some kind of, you know, dogma or practice that's going to fix anything. And it's like you can borrow from those. You can put them in your tool set, but do not give your power to anyone else. You are the one that can create your reality and you're co-creating it with spirit. I'm there to help you facilitate it. That's interesting. Let me check here. I think I have a question. First, it's a comment, and then there's a question. So the comment is, thanks for sharing your story. It's very fascinating to hear. You are very beautiful. (laughs) Thank you. And then it says, my question is, did you have any fear when you were working at prison? Were you afraid when you were there? I was and I wasn't. I guess I'm good. I guess I was good at hiding it a little bit. Mm-hmm. You had to wear um like mask and all, a bullet, like the whole thing. You couldn't even be directly with the client. And um, these were people that were pretty hardened criminals. And in an old prison where they still held guns like up in the uh, barracks as you're walking around. So it was scary. But what I learned working with those people was that if you, they could smell fear on you, then they behaved a certain way. Mm-hmm. And so I always made sure that I came in in my power and that I trusted that I was protected and that I'd be okay. And nothing, to be honest, nothing actually ever happened to me in prison. I've been kicked more by uh, children (laughs) in therapy than uh, in those particular settings. But it definitely wasn't, I, it's not an environment I would want to work long-term. It's very hard for your psyche and your spirit. Right. I would think it would be a pretty low energy place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. And it wasn't a fun place to be a female, given the majority yeah. of the population. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely not. All right. Well, um, do you have anything that you're working on that you want the public to know about? Like are you working on a book or a program or, or anything like that? Yes, I've been working on my book. Interestingly, I've been working on it since my coma. And I just I have this insane amount of moleskin books that I've handwritten everything. But there there was this message that it wasn't going to be just an NDE story. No offense to specifically NDE stories, but I really wanted to focus on trauma. And there, you know, the shadow of the pandemic is that it's brought up a lot for other people that has taught me so much. So now I'm very uh, excited to publish it. And then I'm always fascinated to meet new clients. My website is www.brook with an E, B R O O K E 
Grove, G-R-O-V-E, mm-hmm. healing.com, all one word. And so I'm always fascinated to meet and talk to anybody that wants to reach out and let me know if they want to consult. I do complimentary 20-minute consults when I have the availability. And I'm currently booked out through, I think, January of the wow. incoming year. But I am taking new clients for 2021 Anyone's interested. Wow, that's amazing. So, I mean, as a business, that's fantastic that you're booked already through the end of the year. So congratulations. Yeah, and I have I have been asked I should I need to pick your brain in private. I am starting a YouTube channel and the goal is going to be to really show just some basic skills that people can do shamanically. My son wants to be involved as far as talking about intuitive children. And so it's going to be fun. It's going to be um, more shamanically oriented towards the near death experience aspect. But I'm excited about that. I have not put any content up yet because I'm so busy with my uh, clients at mm-hmm. present. But that also is Brook Grove Healing on YouTube. Okay, great. Yeah. And whenever you feel free to reach out and, and I'm happy to help you. I helped out another one. I would one. love that. Thank you so much. Yeah. Um, I've hel- I helped another one of my guests with his YouTube channel. So, yeah, I'm happy That's to awesome. help. awesome. I deeply appreciate that. <laughs> All right. Well, before we wrap it up here, do you have one last message that you'd like to leave the audience with? I know that it feels for many people uh, that we're in a very dark period, but in Kali Yoga and many other wisdom traditions, this is the period of, of grace. It's a period where, you know, things are shaking, but they're shaking so that what isn't working can crumble and what has been planted can grow. So just be very patient with yourself, you know, go gentle. If you're called to rest, rest by all means. If you're called to be in community as much as we can be now, be in community. Um, There's so many resources online. It's such a blessing, but I'm just sending you all immense love. I can tell you that even the darkest night of the soul you can overcome. I have, I've seen many, many others do it. And there's so many of us light workers and shadow workers and way showers here for you. And I'm just honored to be amongst this collective now as we embark into the unknown. And I do believe it will be beautiful eventually. Thank you. That was a great message. Thank All right. you. All right, Brooke. Well, thank you for giving me a little bit of your time. I wish you massive success when your book comes out and you're already very successful with your practice and a lot of success with your YouTube channel. Much love. Thank you so much, Jeff. All right. Thank you. Have a great evening. You too. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.